Welcome to Secure Insights, the only podcast where you can hear about the latest cybersecurity issues, quick hacks and trending IAM products directly from the industry's top data security experts. Hello everyone and welcome to today's session. This is Jeannie Jessica and you're listening to Secure Insights, a series of conversation with industry experts, influencers and leaders in the cybersecurity space. We are back. Yes, we are back with the second part of our podcast on how to build a cybersecurity culture in your organization. So guys, Dan Lawman is here with us and as we promised to you all, Today, Dan is going to dive more into this topic and give us few tips and tricks, industry insights and resources on cybersecurity culture. Okay, so I won't give out much information for now. So instead of that, let's hear it straight from Dan himself. So for that, let's start this session. Okay, Dan. So let me start this by asking about a topic because of which the entire world has suffered covid-19 the first thing which comes to my mind when i hear covid-19 is work from home due to this unfortunate pandemic organizations have shifted to work from home policy creating a cybersecurity culture becomes both more important and challenging when employees work at home so what solutions would you give to these organizations Yeah, I think COVID-19 has really shifted um the message for many many um organizations and and most people now working from home and and maybe a hybrid environment now many people moving back to the office and so it's a hybrid um maybe one or two days a week and and some two or three days at home. Um again, this is another whole topic we could spend another hour on. Uh, we've done whole whole panels just on this topic what is covid meant for cybersecurity what is the pandemic meant for cybersecurity but as people work from home some of the some of the quick challenges that are out there people may be using home equipment maybe not having the policies in place that apply to work so you're doing more bring your own device or use your own device your own network use your own bring your own network use your own network use your own laptop use your own desktop uh, many people are sharing with their children who might be doing school from home um there are challenges with 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 encryption virtual private networks you know um uh, how do you communicate well i mean many of them are doing virtual desktops uh, vdi um you know but they're doing basically um uh basically trying to uh you know basically imitate their work environment at home and you know i think the challenges about culture apply even more so because um you really need to say and maybe adjust the policies adjust the people the process and the technology and many companies had to do that as part of covid they had to uh, um think a, a, about a new way of getting things done many organizations have done very well at that they've kind of moved to more digital processes le- less paperwork you know we've been talking about the paperless office i think I, i think i taught a class at university of maryland in europe when i was in england in the early 90s on you know we're going to get to the paperless office that was 30 years ago so um we're not uh you know we're 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 not there um we're not there yet we saw a lot of paper but more and more things have become digitized 
But I think the, the reality is that cybersecurity needs to be built into every single one of those processes. So it really needs to be thought about, you know, when you think about each piece of technology from the laptop, the, the desktop, the end user, the smartphone, the apps, um, the, the encryption that's connecting them to your, to your, to your uh, systems, also your cloud architecture. You know, we haven't spent, talk, talked a lot about cloud. cloud. More and more organizations are moving data to the cloud, they're moving applications to the cloud. Um, which could be a very good thing. Um, so when they went to a remote environment, uh, you had, a, 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 you know, basically, um, you know, they already had, say, O365, Microsoft Office 365. They already had those in place. Um, so it was much easier for them to go to uh, work from home. Um, the challenges are, you know, really protecting that end-to-end um, environment and thinking not just about one piece of that, a lot of organizations will say, well, I, you know, I, I use Google, I use Microsoft, I use AWS in the cloud, and that's secure. Well, they may, in fact, be, you know, maybe their data center is secure. Maybe that server, that physical hardware is secure. But is your end-to-end process, is your configuration um, secure? Um, I mean, thinking through each of those pieces in the end-to-end flow of data for every business process is a daunting task. It's really daunting. And so I think the challenges are there. So then the, the solutions have to be, and I think many of them are have done this over the last 12 to, 12 to 18 months, um, redesign how do we do and, and security um, you know, with a zero trust model in, in mind. And, and I think that has been really the message over the last 18 months uh, in COVID. And I think it will continue on certainly here as we move into a hybrid environment over the next six to 12 months. Yes, yes. The challenge of culture applies even more in work from home environment. I mean, because the most obvious risk is that most of our tasks are conducted online. And after all, if something's on the internet, then there's always the possibility of a cyber criminal compromising it. So to avoid such situation, I mean, we should focus more on redesigning of end-to-end security by adopting zero trust model. News these days is filled with companies that have been targeted by hackers and have inadequate security set in place. Uh, What would be your message to those companies and how can a company put rules in place to avoid such situations? Yeah, I think great question. I think it starts really going back to where we kind of began the whole conversation and that is um, the importance of cybersecurity. It still is amazing to me how many people um, fall because they don't think it's going to happen to them? You know, I, I think in 2021 we've had so many you know headline grabbing data breaches around Colonial Pipeline and and um, and I keep saying that one example, but I think that was a turning point when we had gas lines in the southeast part of the United States that got the world's attention in a new way. JBS meets as well. JBS um, others uh, ransomware, but hospitals that have been hit. You know, in in Ireland. Um, shutting down the NHS in in in, uh, in Ireland. I mean, these global attacks, um, you know, and they've hit small hospitals and large hospitals. They've hit, and we don't even, by the way, we don't even know all of them because I, I think it's hard to know exactly what the percentage is. But a large percentage of ransomware attacks or data breaches are never even reported um, to the authorities. Never ne- never make the papers, um, and so. The first message would be it can happen to you. This is this, you know, cybersecurity is a core part of your business. I think that was a message at the summit that, that the uh, president just had with with um, big tech uh, you know, this week. 
um, you know, is, is really that, you know, it's, it's for everyone and it involves cyber insurance. It involves, you know, t- your technology. It involves the people process and technology. So, you know, really includes, you know, training your people well. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Um, it, it involves a process that's repeatable. I mean, I, I, I hear this all the time as well from companies. Um, well, we did that three years ago or we did that a year ago that, you know, we've already checked that box. Well, cybersecurity is not a, you know, it's it's not a one-time check the box, move on kind of thing. It's a constantly um, evolving, the bad actors, maybe yesterday you did stop them. Great, good job. But they've adopt, adapted um, their, their attacks and now they're doing something different. And maybe tomorrow you're not going to be able to stop them with the same level of security. So this is a, this is a moving target. Um, which it makes it very, very difficult. It's not just something you can check and say, you know, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, as we say in the U.S., um, check the box, move on to do something else. Cybersecurity is a core part. It's like customer service in a sense. It's, it, you can always improve. And you can, you can, it's something you have to constantly do every single day. And you can improve in as a culture in your company. And it needs to be part of the way you do business. Listeners, as Dan just mentioned, uh, cybersecurity is core of our business. We cannot get away with it. And also training our employees is one of the ways how we can build cybersecurity culture. Um, I think security awareness training for your employees would be a nice idea. Okay, so this leads me to ask you about the resources which organizations can use to train their employees. Yeah, great question. And I think, um, you know, I, I work for Security Mentor, we're a security awareness training company ourselves. And, um, you know, I, I think having an end user security awareness training program is really essential. Um, but not just a check the box program. Many, many security programs, people say, yeah, Dan, we've been doing that for years and nobody really pays attention to it. It's kind of boring. It's irrelevant. It doesn't apply to me. It's somebody else's job. It's not really very effective. So we tell people your security program needs to be brief, frequent, and focused. Brief, frequent, focused. Um, And that is, you know, we do like a 10-minute lesson every month, year-round, and on a single topic. So, you know, maybe we're talking about passwords this month. The next month we're talking about phishing. It needs to be gamified. It needs to be interactive and engaging. You know, you need training that that is really effective, interactive, engaging, um, the people say also teach me something I don't already know. So, you know, people don't want to keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again. So, so many people have told me, you know, Dan, I just keep hearing, don't click on links, don't cl- click on links. That's not effective. You know, they have to click on some links you know, you're trying to use the internet, right? I mean, you know, how do you train people and really give them knowledge that they can use in a fun, engaging way? So you can actually, if you train well, you can actually make your frontline employees advocates. And this is very hard because, so, I mean, um, for many organizations to believe me on this, but it, it's true. I, I talk to security pros. Um, usually security, the security team in many organizations is thought of as the ones who always say no. They're the ones who always, you know, whatever the project is, the answer is no. What was the question? The answer is no. Um, they're always like shutting things down and turning things off. Well, awareness training is one area where you can enable the end user and really help them be more effective in their in their home life, in their family, um, and also, of course, at work, in their job. 
And so if you're enabling them, teaching them things they don't already know, making it fun, making it engaging, making it brief, frequent, and focused, making it gamified, and really, um, which is really what we do at Security Mentor, um, and you can do that effectively, you can get those end users to say, literally, this is kind of the holy grail, if you will, say thank you. They literally say thank you. Wow, this is great. I love this. I can use this at home. I can use this with my family. I can use this in these different business practices. I can use this at work. And then as you do that, then all of a sudden they're like supporting you and they're actually helping you. So having a real effective end user security awareness training program can really, really help build that culture of cybersecurity. Uh, when we talk about cybersecurity, we cannot miss out identity and access management. So Dan, what is the role of IAM in cybersecurity from an organization's point of view? Yeah, um, you know, when you talk about identity management, identity and access management, it, it really is it really is central. And I, you know, I just start with maybe a little quick little story. And I, when you think about a number of the ransomware attacks, a number of the attacks and, and data breaches that have hit uh, the United States from the Colonial Pipeline, I mentioned JBS, but you know, we talk about lots of state and local governments being hit, cities being hit, counties being hit, um, other organizations, hospitals being hit. In many cases, many cases, um, the way that's that's happening today, and the way that the bad actors, the um, the gangs, if you will, uh, we'll start going through the listing all the different ransomware gangs, but you know, the people that that are actually um, you know putting the ransomware in the systems from around the world are getting access with credentials from the dark web in many cases. So regardless of how um, good your passwords are, um, you know, maybe they're not using two-factor authentication in several cases I know of, you know, that certainly happened with Colonial Pipeline and some others where they were able to get the credentials off the dark web and, um, you know, they were somehow, you know, Somehow they were stolen. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go into that right now. But you know, whether a database was hacked, somehow the the credentials get stolen. Maybe an insider threat. But those credentials are on the dark web, and then without two-factor authentication, um, you know, people can literally log in with the, the username and password. In some cases, it is actually being used by the actual organization themselves, by the system administrators. That's just one example. But it's just trying to show the importance of identity and access management. As we talk about zero trust, as we talk about, you know, um, building a, a different architecture, which has been advocated really globally, and, and zero trust is really kind of another podcast for another day, but but um, IAM is, is, a, is a central component of that, that everything, every per, every interaction, um, you know, needs to be verified. And, and you know, that, that means multi-factor authentication, that means using um, really good provisioning, knowing who has access to what. Um, it's a central component. It's a, it's a, it's a much, much uh, needed area of uh, improvement for most organizations. And, and knowing, you know, even I, I can't tell you how many organizations I talk to, their active directory is not even accurate up to date. You know, they, they can't keep track of, you know, entering and exiting employees and who has access to what. And, and making sure that people, after they leave the organization, don't have access, you know, even three, six months later. I mean, again, identity and access management is a core component of that. And it's really needed in order to uh, to really be able to buy, build an architecture with zero trust. But even, even if you're not in a zero trust, you know, architecture, just from a basic cybersecurity culture perspective, 
um, having a, a, an IAM um, program, whatever tools and, and, and uh, products you use, is essential. Yes, uh, effective IAM strategies from single sign-on to multi-factor authentication can definitely help mitigate risks uh, in the organizations. So Dan, moving forward, uh, is there any difference between how public and private sector organizations approach cybersecurity? I think overall, there's a lot of the same principles. There's a lot of um, similarities. I think there are quite a few differences between the public and private sector as well. Um, the challenge is, you know, the, I will say, you know, the commonalities, the threat landscape is huge. Um, being a target, many times government organizations are targets of it could be nation state ha attackers. You know, ransomware is hitting public and private sector. Um, you know, the, the, the number of threats and challenges is huge. I think in the public sector, there are a number of differences that are unique, especially you know, I, I've worked with CISOs and I've been a CISO in the private sector now for over seven years. And and, uh, you know, was in the uh, CISO for the state of Michigan and CSO for the state of Michigan, actually working in Michigan government for 17 years overall. Um, and, and I think from a budgeting perspective, um, most private sector organizations spend more and, and uh, have more flexibility than the, than the public sector, than governments. Um, certainly, I, I, I'll tell you, one of the biggest challenges out there today is staffing. And, and you know, people talk a lot about pay um, and benefits. Um, you know, I think that is a big challenge for governments to keep qualified staff, you know, when they get trained up and they're good. A lot of times they leave. I've talked to a lot of CISOs that are really struggling to keep their top talent. They're being attracted away to the private sector. I think that's a big challenge. I also think in the budgeting and the public sector is different. A lot of times it's, it's, it's what we call fiscal year budgeting. Um, I can tell you lots of times and I was in, in government um, and I think this still exists out there, you know, you have everything is kind of time boxed. And what I mean by that is like you have to spend it by a certain deadline. And I, there were many, many times where I had no money like all year, you know, no money, no money, no money. And then I'd be our finance director would come in my office and say, you got a week to spend a million dollars because this money is going to, you know, going to lapse. We're not going to have it. So um, the, 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 the way that do they do budgeting, the way that they you know fund projects is 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 can be can be very different in the in the public sector than the private sector, um, and those are some challenges. But you know there are also some advantages as well because the public sector can get grants many times from like Department of Homeland Security and there's, there's new legislation now offering you know literally like a billion dollars in grants to state and local governments. It's it's going through right now as part of the infrastructure pa package in Washington. You know, that money is going to be available to, uh, to to state and local governments that you know not going to be available to the private sector. So from a grant perspective, from a being, an ability to work with other governments and partner, certainly public and private sector need to partner. I think uh, the, uh, the president just had a big summit in Washington with a lot of the leaders of Apple and Microsoft and Google and talked about more. You know, we've been talking about public-private partnership for years, um, but that's going to continue and that, and that there's a lot of similarities. But again, uh, I think government needs to rely on the private sector to help um, in, in, in new ways, because right now, I think um, from a resource perspective, oftentimes, especially smaller governments struggle um, to basically keep good staff and to be able to really manage their cybersecurity programs. What kind of challenges have you personally experienced in your mission to instruct individuals about network protection 
and if there were any challenges then how did you manage those things yeah i mean i think um there's been a quite a few challenges i think i, I you know it, it i think it starts with with a basic understanding for people at a very simple level of just um you know helping them educating them on something as simple as two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication um you know i think different studies said about a couple years ago it was like less than 10 percent of americans use two-factor authentication even though it was free i'm talking about even for home home apps so so um using it for facebook linkedin twitter um uh, for Gmail, for email, for home networks, for, for, you know, Yahoo, it was, you know, you can't beat the price, right? Free. Um, I, I start there. I know we're talking about business, you know, I'll get back to that in a minute, but if people understand the value, just at a very basic level, most people say, oh, that's too hard. I don't want to have two factors. I just want to have a password. I want, you know, I want easy. I want simple. I want fast. I want efficient. And that's great. But you say, you know, it doesn't have to be hard to do two-factor authentication. You know, you know, I certainly wouldn't do online banking. I often get that question, do you do online banking? And, and I say, yes, I do, because I have two-factor authentication. So if somebody gets my password with a, from the dark web and they, and they use it, they try to log in as me. If they get my username and password, I hope they don't. I would change it. But if they, but if they do, I'm going to get a text to my phone. And, um, and, and it's going to, uh, it, it, it's good to tell me that someone's trying to log into my account. I'm going to get notified by, G, by email as well. Um, so at a very basic level, helping people understand the value of multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication, turning that on, it's free for the apps they already use like email, um, social media websites, um, sites like LinkedIn and, and Facebook. Um, and Twitter and others online use two-factor when it's available. And I think that's been a challenge um, to help people understand because if they understand it at that level, then they're gonna understand it more at work. Because I think the other challenges you find is, um, I was gonna mention on, on this, is as you work with business staff, they've got deadlines. You know, they're like, I wanna get this app rolled out. I wanna get this project done. I've gotta be done by September 1st. I've gotta be done by October 1st. And, and um, if they, uh, you know, if, if, if I try and add this extra level of security, if I try to add this extra level of, of um, you know, um, IAM, network protection, um, it's going to slow down the project. Um, and so you have this tension that's going on. That's why it's really important to be involved at the beginning, that security needs to be built in from the start of projects, not be an inhibitor at the end. Um, and, and always be the one that's, you know, asking, you know, they're, they're coming in and asking for an exception. We used to always have that so much anymore, but um, we, it would come in at the last minute and ask for, you know, punch this hole through the firewall so we can we can get this project working. The governor needs it by Monday kind of thing. So that's that's that means you failed when you have to have exceptions, lots of exceptions, lots of, 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 of appeals and 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 rules that have to like, you know, are long and complex. I mean, building security into the beginning of network projects, the beginning of business processes, that's the most effective way. That's going to really uh, enable you to really have a culture of cybersecurity and, and do it in a way that's a positive thing in, a, in the company and not a negative thing. Okay, Dan. So finally, I would like to ask, what would you say is the most integral part of cybersecurity culture? 
Yeah, I mean, they're all important. Everything, you know, we can talk bottom up, you know, getting employee buy-in. We'll talk about that, in, in, I think, in a, in a little bit. But I, I think I think the number one thing I would have to say um, is executive buy-in, you know, starting at the top. If, if management gets it, if they really believe in it, and they say, you know, we're going to make this a priority, and we're going to walk the talk, and we're going to hold people accountable, and we're going to put the people process and technologies in place. We believe in this and we're going to do it. I think that's the number one piece is getting that management buy-in. Um, and, and we could say so much more about that. But I just want to say, you know, right here, I want to mention, you know, I, I hear a lot this question. Okay, Dan, I agree. It is management buy-in. It's executive support, getting the board support, getting the executive support, that business support from the top. Yeah, that's number one. But what if I don't have it? How can I get it? I get that question a lot. Um and I just want to give you a couple tips. Um, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you say, you know, my management just doesn't seem to really, they, they say the right things, but they don't really do what they say. I'm not, I don't really have the buy-in for this project I'm trying to do for this IAM project, for this um, important security program. I, the first thing I tell people is, is uh, get on boats that are leaving the dock. And what I, what I mean by that is, you know, you say, I don't have a boat you know, Everyone's out, going out to that island out there. There's a, there's a big body of water between us. How do I get out there? Well, get on one of the other boats. There's other boats leaving the dock. And what does that mean in practical terms? There's always things being funded. There are always projects that are top priorities. Find out what those top priorities are in your company or in your government. I mean, one thing about government, I've been involved for over 30 years. There's always money being spent on something. So making sure that your security team is involved in those projects. Maybe they won't want to give you an enterprise-wide IAM solution or an enterprise-wide you know, encryption solution, but maybe they will have funding for that new tax system or that new um, you know, a Medicare, Medicaid system, whatever it might be you're working on, um, or maybe that you know, different, uh, uh, you know, whatever app you're working on in your company that's a top priority, making sure security is built into those projects. So um, that's, that's, that's really um, one thing you can do. But as far as getting the executives to, to support you, um, two other tips I'd like to give. Um, one, you know, look for um, advocates. You, in almost every organization, there's someone at the top, some management, some executive that really is a supporting, um, call them a champion, somebody who's really going to advocate for cybersecurity. Talk with that person. Find out maybe they had their identity stolen. Maybe there's something personal in their lives that they really this is important to them. And you know, utilize those relationships. Um, and really, um, you know, I, I, I tell people you're always going to have your leaders, your followers, and your laggards. So work with the leaders. You know, and, and once the leaders lead, then the then the followers will, will follow, and then eventually, you know, it becomes part of the culture, and the laggards will get on board the boat um, because it, the time comes and they they feel like they have to get involved. So, you know, the, you know, really work with those those leaders, those um, champions in your organization that do want to support it. And then lastly, if you have an executive, maybe a senior team just doesn't want to seem to listen to you. Maybe you're the wrong messenger. Maybe you need to work. I call us a, a, a work with a with a peer. Um, you know, I can tell you a quick story. We had a situation in, in Michigan. This is going back more than a decade, but the, the model will still work today. Um, well, we wanted one agency director that just didn't seem to get cybersecurity. They didn't do, do what we wanted to say. They didn't want to listen to us. And, and, and for whatever reason, they you know, were not listening to my team. And um, what we did was we were able to find out a partner who that individual 
respected and listened to that was out at another state in, in um, won't mention the state, but out west. And they thought that that state and that director of that agency department did a fantastic job. And, and we knew they had a very good security program. So we contacted them. We talked to their security team and they said, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we did this, this, and this project. It was all very successful. And our management really buys into that. But we talked to them, talked to their team. And then when those two leaders were together at a conference for Michigan and that other state, um, they talked to each other about, you know, the importance of cybersecurity. And he, you know, he heard, he got the message from this other executive from another organization better than from us. Um, and so it was actually a better messenger and the interesting thing was the person came back from that conference, they called me up and they said, Dan, I want you right over here. I want you in, you know, in my office. I want to do this project A, B, C, D, E, because cybersecurity is really important. It became their idea, which was awesome. Um, and he never even knows, I don't think to this day, that we actually worked through a colleague in a different state to actually get the message over to that person. But there's always somebody that your executive team is listening to. Find out who that is, find out who influences them, and maybe they would be a better messenger to get you the priorities, the funding, the staffing that you need for your security project. Uh, so that was the last question, and we have come to an end of this series of how to build a cybersecurity culture in an organization. Dan, it was pleasure to have you here as our keynote speaker. Thank you again for joining us and sharing your valuable insights. Well, thank you. No, I really enjoyed doing it. So I appreciate uh, you asking me and I look forward to send me the links when this goes live. Yes, yes, definitely. And Dan, I'm very sure that our audience now knows how important it is to build a cybersecurity culture in an organization. Well, I'm hoping for more such interesting conversations around cybersecurity with you. And thank you so much, listeners, for tuning into Secure Insights. We will meet again on our next podcast session. Don't forget to subscribe to Secure Insights if you don't want to miss any updates or episodes. Until next time, goodbye.